You're listening to Mental Health Allowed by OC87 Recovery Diaries. I'm Executive Director Gabriel Nathan, encouraging you to sign up for this podcast wherever you listen. And check us out for more mental health recovery stories at oc87recoverydiaries.org. While playing competitive tennis helped me heal from anxiety and depression by Javier Ortega Ariza. From ages 14 to 17, I was a competitive youth tennis player. Although to those who fancied themselves as experts on the game and who swear that if I had only started at three, they could have turned me, or anybody else for that matter, into the next McEnroe, I was late. But for me, it was perfect timing. Because any other alternative for a teenager who had the up-and-down swings between depression and excitement that I had could have been catastrophic, as I would later discover. For three years, I was at the country club from 3 to 9 p.m., at least. And the clay of the courts gracefully absorbed everything. Hopes, fears, joy, anxiety, and pain. Those comforting white lines were there, through thick and thin. Of course, it was not always perfect. When I played my first tournament and I lost the first round, I cried out of anger and smashed a racket against a post, not once, but several times. Over the next few tournaments, I broke several more rackets and wondered if I would still be allowed to play. The underlying feeling was simple. I felt I wasn't good enough and it filled me with rage. A rage that I did not know how to release in a healthy manner. It was not new for me. I was raised under the smothering pressure of excelling at everything. I was tapped to be a prodigy who learned how to read at two, played the piano brilliantly at three. I was not expected to get good grades, but the best grades. Anything less than 100% would result in a long Q&A session and on the underlying premise that I should feel ashamed for failing at something that I could do better at. Therefore, I grew up with constant anxiety, feeling like I was always walking on eggshells. When outworthiness is attached to a result from such a young age, our mind becomes ailing. If we're raised under such coercion, constantly hounded that we need to be the best, that what we do is not enough, and so on, it is understandable that we end up mentally ill. Expectations can grumble us, because sooner or later, we embed a story in our heads that tells us no matter what we do, it will never be sufficient. Hardly after my high school years, I moved to Canada to go to university when the opportunity to study abroad opened up. Getting to a new city felt great, largely because nobody knew me and therefore no one expected anything from me. Upon arrival, I signed up for a tennis tournament, and when the draw came out, I realized that in the first round I would be playing the number two seed. To the surprise of everyone, not only did I play one of my best games and beat him, but I kept that level all through the competition. I would end up winning it. The fact that no one knew me liberated me. It empowered me to play my best game. After that tournament, 
I could have joined the team and played more tournaments, but I chose not to. I would play for fun every now and then. When it came to competitive play, I had already quit. Why? <laughs> because of fear. The fear that no matter what I did or how hard I worked, my worthiness as a person was at stake every time I set foot on court. The pain from my youth career was still fresh, and I felt the pressure and the intense expectations on my shoulders that caused me to lose matches that should have been easy. I felt terrified of losing something that I thought I had acquired by winning. Respect. Recognition. And it felt easier not to care or to do something else. The pressure that competitive athletes face is well documented. Mental illness has taken a toll on so many careers, including young promises and superstars, Lucas Bui, Robin Soderling, Naomi Osaka. There is the case of Nick Cargiros, who was admitted to a psych ward in London after losing a match at Wimbledon. From Diego Schwartzman, a professional tennis player, the only thing that you and I have a difference in is that I hit a tennis ball better than you do, just as you do other things better than me. Beyond that, we are all human. We all have problems and issues, things that make us angry and things that make us happy. We have the same problems, the same anxieties. Except maybe that is not obvious when you're watching us on TV. Learning about other people's journeys, for me, was one turning point. Knowing that mental health now is part of the conversation, and seeing the shared humanity with other people who face the same issues at a much higher level was something that helped me feel less alone. Then there is digging deep, being willing to forgive and mend the relationship with my caregivers and those who exerted the biggest influence on me. And it has been beautiful as it has been painful, but well worth it. Here is where love and forgiveness can give us different answers to the questions we've consistently been asking ourselves. What will happen if we lose? Will we still be loved, accepted, worthy? Will we still matter? Fortunately for us, there's always time for redemption. Roger Federer has talked about how Watching his behavior after a match against Marat Safin, which included smashing rackets, motivated him to change and become the icon of sportsmanship that he is now. For me, the moment to change came eight years after college, when I started playing tournaments when traveling around the United States. I had already been through so much by then, including overcoming suicidal ideation and I had worked on my own personal development with the help of my therapist for a few years. I had also been playing a lot recreationally, but I felt the urge to compete. This led me to sign up for tournaments in Birmingham, Seattle, and Houston. I would end up winning all of them. But the real test would come when I visited my hometown a few months later. I signed up to play a tournament at a club that was very familiar to me. In preparation, I played a match against somebody that frequently gets on my nerves. A rival I had a difficult time playing against when I was a teenager. Therefore, the beginning was very difficult. I started losing 3-0, then 
but something was different this time. I had done enough work on myself that during the game, I was aware enough to step back after every point. Those who know me or have played against me may have noticed that I take more time between serves than the average player. What I'm usually doing during that time is grounding myself, getting back to center. I do my best in that short amount of time to forget the previous point and focus on the point at hand. In this game, after a particularly difficult rally, I felt a part of myself getting scared, asking a question, and this changed the trajectory of my game. I said to that voice, answering softly, Yes, I would still be worthy no matter what, no matter how badly I lost. And I began to remind myself of that every single point. Eventually, my nervousness faded away and my game caught up. I told myself that regardless of the result, I had already won. For not throwing the towel, for not falling prey to fear, for not smashing another racket. For staying focused, one stroke at a time. In doing this, I surrendered my attachment to the final result. I came back and won the match. A few days later, I played the tournament's final, and since it was a team event, I also needed to play a doubles final with a very good friend of mine. I honestly didn't want to play. I felt tired. There was a considerable amount of people watching. All the ingredients were there to transport me back to the moments where I struggled the most. But there's one way through which we can beat trauma. Dr. Peter Levine says that if we avoid responding to the traumatic impulse, we can allow ourselves to close the circle. So from somewhere, I got the energy to pause and breathe and let the circle of trauma close itself. I bounced the ball four times before each serve as I do now. To repeat my whole Ponopono mantra, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. All put together seemed to be helping. That evening I served for the match, and for once, I was not carrying anything. I wasn't imagining everyone watching, saying how I wasn't a good enough player. It was different. I felt grateful. All these years later, tennis had waited for me. And even if I had ended up losing, we still would have won. Javier Ortega Ariza is a writer, storyteller, digital nomad, and serial entrepreneur among many other things in between. He is a competitive tennis and pickleball player and a mental health advocate who considers it his responsibility to share his journey and struggles to help other people heal and grow. You can follow his spiritual journey through his newsletter, spiritrising.substack.com or find more about him on linktree backslash Javier Ortega Ariza. And you've been listening to Mental Health Aloud by OC87 Recovery Diaries. I'm Executive Director Gabriel Nathan, encouraging you to sign up for this podcast wherever you listen. And check us out for more mental health recovery stories at OC87RecoveryDiaries.org. Gee.